I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and welcome to a very special edition of the Rugby Tonight podcast. Earlier this month, Ali Ekin sat down for an illuminating one-on-one chat with the maestro Eddie Jones to discuss the remarkable start to his stint as England head coach. Here's the best of their chat. Eddie, hotel life. You love a hotel, don't you? Still uh, haven't got a home, have you? Well, falling in love with a hotel life. We're looking forward to moving into a home. <laughs> Endless coffees. You've got free access to the gym anytime you like, but it's not home, is it? Not home. But, uh, <laughs> look, it's been a, a fairly uh, dynamic 12 months, so it served its purpose. Good. Um, it's been an extraordinary... 12 months when you reflect on it as you can now because I'm guessing there hasn't really been a moment at which to do that um, are you surprised at how far you and the team have come in that period well probably surprised at the record so to win 100% of your games in any sports difficult um, but I'm not surprised at the growth of the team you know when I took the team over I always felt they were very good players and we've been able to get a few things right that's allowed those players to grow and the team to grow. So I'm not surprised at the growth of the team, but definitely having a 100% record is, is, uh, is good. You've spoken about it a lot, but for you, what were the kind of key attributes that you thought that group of players were missing and how have you managed to instil those bits? Well, I think in, in any team, it's always about clarity. It's about clarity of purpose, clarity of how you want to play, clarity of how you want to train and clarity of how you want to behave. And I think through a combination between the senior players and the coaching staff, we've been able to get reasonable clarity and that's allowed the team to play without too much confusion. And when you don't have confusion, you get energy, you get commitment, you get you get real focus during the game. And, and you know, apart from a few times in the season, we've had that for most of it. Did you feel you had the, the strength of characters there? Or at least if you had them, did you have to find a way to just tap into them a little bit to get the best of those? Well, that's what I really didn't know because you know I didn't know the players personally. Uh, the only player I'd, I had worked with in any, any capacity had been Owen and I was just an academy boy at, at Surrey's when I was there. Um, so that was one of the things we had to learn very quickly. But... Yeah, I made, a, I made a few character assumptions pretty early and, and some of them worked. Do you tend to do that with people? Oh, I think you have to in, in our game, you know, because particularly as a national coach, you don't have a lot of social downtime with the players. So you have to make those judgments fairly quickly. And that's why it's important, certainly for me early on, it was important to go around and watch the games live 
because you see a lot about the players when you, you're watching them live, what they do in between play, how they communicate to the other players, what sort of influence they have within the team. The evidence is pretty clear, Eddie, that your judgment's pretty good, but have you found instances where you've, you've got people wrong on, on initially thinking that he works like that and actually works like this, or you, you find yourself a little, a little confused about what you thought was right actually being the case? Oh, I've definitely got a few players wrong. Um, and you generally allow yourself about a 10% mistake rate, and I think we've generally kept to that. You know, we've brought players in that we shouldn't have brought in. We've given them opportunities they shouldn't have had. And maybe we haven't given opportunities to other players as quickly as we should have. And when you have to, I mean, that seems to me to be one of the most difficult things for you as a selector, to be able to just wield that knife where it's necessary. You've got to be pretty ruthless, haven't you? So when you tell those players that you think you got wrong, that actually, you know what, you're not cut out for this, how do you, how do you transmit that information? Well, I've coached for 20-odd years and it's still the most unpleasant part of the job. Yeah, you never like to tell someone they're not good enough to be in your team. Um, so you have to try to put it in a situation where you still give them hope, you still give them an, an avenue to improve, and then it's up to the player to see how they take that avenue. And do you find that that varies enormously according to character traits? Yeah, it varies depending on how desperate they are and how much sacrifice they're willing to give up. You know, to win at test level, you've got to sacrifice, you've got to give up things in your life, you've got to make choices that are hard because playing at the top level of test rugby is, is uncompromising and you're and you found out if you don't do that. And so, yeah, you find out very quickly the players who want to make those sacrifices and the players who don't. And presumably your technique early on was to work out who are the desperate ones? Who are the ones that will sacrifice everything they got to get where you want them to go? 100%, yeah, very yeah. important. Do you find that desperation is a difficult thing to instill in people? If they don't have it, can you instill it in them? Uh, you can definitely instill it if you create the right environment and you've got the right group of, of staff around you. You can do that. You know, I've been exceptionally lucky. I've had a very good staff great assistant coaches in Paul Gustard, Steve Borthwick and Neil Hatley who have done an exceptional jobs. So the combination of us all working together has created an environment where it's basically non-negotiable if, you if you're not desperate. It's tricky though, isn't it? Because these guys nowadays, they have everything. They don't lack for a single thing. So to find somebody desperate in that environment, is, it, you know, from the outside looking in, that might be quite tricky. Yeah, no, it is. And particularly it's tricky in England because... Yeah, if you're a good player in England, you go to the under-20s. You're under-20s, you get, you get a lot of gear. You know, the boot sponsors want to give you boots. The big cars sponsors want to give you a car. You get a nice contract with a club and you're set. You know, your name's in the paper. You're going to be the next Martin Johnson or the next Johnny Wilkinson. And, and so that player immediately becomes a little bit of a celebrity straight away and there's a massive celebrity... Uh, environment in the media in, in England. So you have to cut through those players and find out the players who, who want that lifestyle or who really want to be a, a sustainable, successful, top-level international sports person. So you talk a lot about hunger. Um, what do you want to see particularly tangibly from those guys that were with you this year between now and, say, the next Six Nations Championship? Well, we talk about a lot about 
you know, you've got to play at nine to five. And basically from nine to five, like everyone, you're, you're on show and everyone knows what you're doing. But for the top level sportsmen, it's what they do from five to nine that's so important. So whether they go out and have that extra beer, whether they go out and have that extra ice cream or chocolate, or whether they do their extra stretching, do their extra recovery, you know, they're the bits and pieces that, that count. And the, the five to nine you see translated into their performance during the game. So we've seen some players improve enormously for us. You know, guys like, like Billy, you know, I always recall, and I recalled it to the team the other day, when we had our first training session and Billy came, you know, after 15 minutes he was struggling. And now he's one of the fittest guys we've got in the squad. Yeah, so he's made changes to, to what he does and, and you see that in their performance and, and we've had a, a group of players that have changed a lot and all the credit goes to those players. You've, you've also made a big play, haven't you, of saying to them, though you back them and you support them, they don't own that shirt. So there are no guarantees for any of those players come France opening game of the Six Nations. No, 100%. Uh, yeah, and I think... Maybe it's been pinched from the All Blacks, I'm not sure. But, you know, when you... And, and the Australian cricket has a similar thing. You know, when you put on that shirt, you wear that for that period of time. And when you take it off, you want to make sure that shirt's in a better place than when you put it on. And I think we're starting to get that sort of desire within the England side. You know, because we've won some games we shouldn't have won. You know, if I go back to the third test in Australia, maybe the last test of this series. They're games where we've been a long way away from our best, either in terms of personnel or in terms of energy or in terms of mindset. But the players have fought exceedingly hard to ensure that we got the result we needed to get. You mentioned a couple of matches there. Um, they've all been pivotal in their ways, haven't they? But for you, as you look back across the last 12 months, were there particular moments where you thought, yeah, we're on the right track now? Well, if you could pick out two or three moments, what would those moments be? Uh, well, probably to me, the, the side only started to play good rugby was in the first half against Ireland. I thought, yeah, we started to look like a team that, that could take it to the opposition. Because again, you know, being in Australia, my view of English rugby was England has to be a team that goes at the opposition. They go physically hard at the opposition because we've got a big physical pack. And, and unless we're going at the opposition, we're not putting enough pressure on them. And Ireland in the first half was when we showed signs of that. Now, up until then, we had bits and pieces of good play. You know, against Scotland, we were muddling. Italy, we were average. Yeah, we scored some tries at the end to win the game. But Ireland's when it sort of just started to click a little bit and we couldn't sustain it for, for any longer than 20 minutes. Against Wales, we probably did it for 30 minutes. And increasingly, that period of time's increasing. Okay, and then you talk about the Australian tour. It was a, an extraordinary thing that you achieved there. But I know, I mean, most people would be very happy with a, with a 2 0, a 2 1. But what pleased you most, I gather, was that that third test match, you didn't let it lie. Because it would have been easy to let it lie with the series in the bag. Yeah, very much so. Because if you want to be the best team in the world, you got to win those games when you're not at your best. And that third test, we were physically on our feet. You know, I've never off our feet. So I've never seen a team so tired because they'd been training since June of the previous year. Yeah, you know, it was quite an incredible effort. We'd won two 0 so yeah, we'd won the series. And in the history of the game, England had only won three tests in Australia. So 
yeah, it was a chance to make history, but they were physically fatigued. Uh, yeah, players were definitely starting to think about their holidays, but they f fought through all of that, had a really good week's preparation. You know, people were making cocktails in the background. Uh, <laughs> is that for you? <laughs> and, and, Shaken, and, not stirred, yeah? Exactly. <laughs> and then, then we just, you know, we, we played an exceptional game of rugby and I was so proud of the players. And I know also, and I keep referring back to moments that perhaps other people might not recognise as being particularly significant, but the daily red card that put everybody in a white shirt on the back foot. You were actually perversely quite thrilled by that because it gave them an opportunity to to show their adaptability. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the previous two games we'd been pretty average, to be honest. You know, against Fiji, again, we did what we did, had to do to win the test. South Africa was very similar. And we needed something to spark us. And, and Elliot's mis misfortune sparked the side into a really committed, physical, energetic performance. Yeah, and Argentina are a useful side. You know, they were physically tired, but... They, they came to Twickenham, it's the biggest rugby stage in the world and they wanted to play well and we shut them completely out. And then of course the Australians, um, that match was, was dominated in the build-up by the, the jousting between yourself and your old pal, Michael Checker. Um, everybody's intrigued at the psychology behind that, Eddie, and you've done it throughout your career, haven't you, that, that, that verbal jousting. Um, for a lot of people it, it seems like, what's, what's he doing? Why is he doing that? Why would he do that? Um, but for you, it serves a purpose, does it not? Tell us what purpose it serves. Well, you know, every time you talk to the media, you're actually talk to me, you're talking to your players. You, you, you're wanting the message that you want to give the players reinforced in the media because you know when the players go home at night, their mother's going to tell them what's being said in the media or their wife or their boyfriend or their, their girlfriend. Someone's going to reinforce that message with them. And it's the old thing in life, if you, if you get... If you hear the same message enough times, you'll believe it. So for me, it's a, it's a way of reinforcing what we want to do as a team. And also, you know, I've got a job as a head coach to inform the fans of what we're trying to do. And I think it's a very important job. And I think, you know, rugby is a sport that we want to be the best sport in the world. You know, I'd love rugby to be the number one sport in the world. Imagine rugby being bigger than football. You know, it'd be fantastic. And, and so I think you've got a job to, to inform, you've got a job sometimes to entertain. Because and, and there's entertainment there. I mean, there's no doubt there's entertainment there. And I know you refer back a lot to your, your days when you were, were jousting with, uh, with Sir Clive Woodward. But for you, that's all part of generating the excitement, the enthusiasm for the game, the buzz around a match like that, a big yeah, match. Yeah, and like it's that. fun. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> thought it was fun what happened with Chick. You know, he... Uh, He'd obviously taken on board what happened in Australia, you know, probably bit at what Hanson said. So Hanson, you know, insinuated he was being bullied. So he came out here with his, you know, he brought every piece of equipment he had and had his machine gun and he was spraying everyone he could. <laughs> but when you see that reaction, do you think to yourself, this is brilliant, I've, I've, just, I've just put my dart exactly where I wanted it to go? Uh, not really, but... But, you know, I think it just adds to the week. I thought the build-up to the Test match was fantastic. And, I th you know, when you look at that Test match, the, at the atmosphere at Twickenham was by far the best atmosphere we had. And I think it was a really good Test match, really good intense, intense Test match. And that's what you want. And what about um, being depicted as a clown on front pages and back pages of newspapers all over the globe? Does that bother you? 
Not at all. <laughs> Look, I'm too old for that. You know, if I, 15 years ago, it probably would have bothered me. Uh, but now I don't even worry about it. Even my mother doesn't worry about it now. <laughs> Are you more concerned about the quality of the artwork than the actual mechanics of being depicted that yeah, way? Yeah, well, as I said, I didn't think it was a great cartoon, but who am I to judge? <laughs> um, Eddie, let's talk about a couple of individuals in particular because there have been some, some really key men right at the heart of what you've been trying to do. Um, one of the biggest things you did when you arrived, certainly in the minds of a lot of people, was to transform Chris Robshaw from, from being captain to not being captain, first and foremost, and to switch his shirt number. But it's had the most incredible result, hasn't it? You must be thrilled with, with the way you handled that and the way it all panned out because I think for a lot of people, they weren't expecting to see Chris Robshaw feature a great deal in your England. I'm, th I'm thrilled for Chris, you know, it was a difficult time. You realise when you've been the host country in a World Cup and you're the captain and the side doesn't go through, people point the finger at, at you. And that could have been easily the end of his career. He could have, you know, found excuses. But what I really enjoyed, we had a, a I think it was the second day I was in the job or third day I was in the job, we had a a nice chat together. Um, yeah, I basically said what I needed from him in terms of playing, where I was going to go in terms of the captaincy, which I didn't have a, uh, a plan at that stage. All I said was that the first thing you've got to do is get in the team. Yeah, and to get in the team, you have to do X, Y and Z. And I was so impressed he went back to his club and he did that. And, and so it was a no-brainer for him to be in the team. And then I needed to work out after that who needed to be the captain. It needed to work though that trick didn't it it had to work for 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 the success of your project that decision was a really significant one and he's such a good player you know he really is a, a high work rate committed team man and those sort of glue players are so important you know and, and the thing that stands out about chris he loves rugby you know he loves the game of rugby you know every time he goes to training he gives a hundred percent i've never seen a guy spend more time doing uh, analyst work than he does yeah, he's always in the in the room looking at, at videos. He's always in the room helping people. Yeah, wh one of the great things for me was in that third test in Australia when Mara Itoje came on, oh, sorry, changed from the second row to the lock, uh, second row to, to flanker. Yeah, Robbo was one of, the, one of the first guys on the field to go up to him and give him advice. Now, this is a guy that potentially could take his spot but because Robbo is such a great team man. It's not a consideration for him. And they're the sort of guys that win your big test matches. What about Marrow? Because of all the people that have emerged, and sometimes that's happy chemistry, isn't it? It's, uh, it, it's the way the dice roll. He comes to the boil at just the right moment for you, potentially. He's, he's just reaching a peak and, and ready for international rugby at the time that you want him, as opposed to probably being a bit too soon under Stuart Lancaster, for example. But um, just give us a little overview of, of Marrow and what he has brought and how excited you may or may not be about his prospects. Well, you know, he's got enormous potential and one of the things he brings to a team is energy. Yeah, he's a very energetic boy. You know, he, he brings a certain dynamism to the team. He's got athletic qualities that could make him a standout player. But he's a bit like a, a, a test batsman. You know, he comes in, gets a couple of hundreds in his first test. Then players start, the opposition start to work out where his weakness is. And now it's his ability to work hard at his game and make his game better. So the test for Murrow is not his talent. It's the test for his desire to be sustainably successful. And that'll come from hard work, reflection, 
the ability to, to grow and not think he's made it. And so the test for Marrow's coming now. Hasn't been, hasn't had it yet. So he started as a Vauxhall Viva, if I remember yes. rightly. Then he turned into a BMW. So we're, given that he is a man who generally does progress at high speed, what's the, what's the next range that we should be looking for? Well, I'm not sure about that, but he certainly can be a yeah, 80 capper for, for England. There's no doubt about that. And if he plays 80 caps, yeah, he'll win a World Cup. And if he does win 80 caps, do you think the bulk of those will be at lock? Or do you see him being as versatile as, as being able to, to nail down a back row spot? Well, one, of, one of the things I like about the England side is that we've got great adaptability within our team and uh, I think it doesn't matter whether he's playing lock or six for us, you know, or, or possibly eight, that he's going to be very valuable for the team. What about um, Lions selection? We, we know now that Warren Gatlin's chosen his coaching staff. We'll talk a little bit perhaps about that in a moment or two. But from your perspective, you want as many players on that trip as possible or would you quite like to keep a handful back so that you make sure you go to Argentina and do something meaningful? Well, I hope that we, when we have to select the team to go to Argentina, it's, uh, it's the first time I've got a headache um, because I haven't had any headaches in terms of selection. Because haven't I've, you? Because I've always had more good players than I've had to pick from. So you don't have a headache when you've got that because that's a luxury. Okay. You know, we had a lot of injuries this autumn. An awful yeah, lot of people. But we had. still had good players to pick from. You know, we were down, we, we probably earmarked a number of players to play seven. Um, and then Tom Wood comes in, plays 40 tests and plays three superb games for us in, in order, which is fantastic. You know? And again, he was a guy that hadn't been selected, went away, worked at his game, came back a better player. You know, I'm so happy for him. So I hope we get at least 15 players, 10 to 15 players on, on the Lions squad um, and they go there and they beat New Zealand. Because you know, one of the things about playing against New Zealand, once you've beaten them, all that mystique and aura tends to go. You know, everyone has this aura about the All Blacks, that they're unbeatable and you can't beat them. But once you do beat them, then they know you've beaten them and then you know you've got the, the, the armour to beat them and that's so important. So we want our guys to go there and be a part of an enormously successful Lions team. And you've obviously lost one of your lieutenants to the Lions coaching staff in Steve Borthwick. Um, I know he, he clearly goes with your blessing, but he's offering an awful lot now at a very early stage of his coaching development, Eddie, and you've been a key part of, of making that happen, haven't you? Yeah, well, we want him to be you know, the best coach England's ever produced. Um, yeah, and, and at some stage in his career to be the head coach of England, that's, that's the plan we've got in place and we're working very hard at that. And so to have the opportunity to coach the best players in 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 the United Kingdom and Ireland. I've got to say that, don't yeah, you I? Do. Politically yeah. correct. Yeah, you absolutely do. Okay, so I've got that right. Um, I am changing in my old age, being a bit politically <laughs> correct. Um, then he's got a great opportunity to grow as a, as a coach because the way you get better as a coach is to coach better players, and he's got that opportunity, so it's going to be fantastic for him personally, fantastic for England, and hopefully fantastic for the Lions. And given that they've got a handful of players, obviously from England, 2012 when they beat New Zealand, Ireland have now done it, you've had the year that you've had. There, there seems to be a greater sense of optimism about that trip from a Lions perspective than there was probably six months ago. In your mind, they're eminently beatable, that series can be won? Oh, 100%, 100%. I think Warren Gatlin must be the happiest bloke on, 
in Wales at the moment. Uh, yeah, he's got a great opportunity. He's got a good squad. Yeah, his biggest job will be selection again. Yeah, and he doesn't have problems. He's got luxuries, so he's just got to pick the right luxury, um, and he'll get that right. He's he, you know he's got a consistent record as being a good selector. He gets selection right. Tactics will look after themselves. They've got enough players there that can can run the game. You know when you picking from guys like George Ford, Sexton, Owen Farrell, you've got enough guys who can run the game for you. And it's picking, picking the right balance of the team. So I think it's enormously exciting. And it's great for, for European rugby and also great for rugby in general, I think. You mentioned Owen Farrell, and he is the one player that you have known since a, not quite a tiny tot, but from his teenage years. His progression from, from that kind of scrawny kid to world-class operator must must be enormously pleasing for you having overseen quite a bit of it yeah well it's a great credit to Alan you know he's a he's a driven boy you know he's obviously comes from a very strong sporting family Apple know. doesn't fall far from the no, tree exactly it? you know he's so similar to, to Andy and I, and you know on that I'm so pleased Andy's doing well with Ireland and again gone on the Lions tour because that was a difficult thing um, you know, leaving him out of the English coaching staff because we know he's a good coach. We just felt that balance of him coaching his son wasn't right for either. Um, and it's probably, I think, worked well for both of them. Um, so Owen keeps on getting better as a player and, and he's got a lot of development in him. Just briefly, Eddie, um, there's been so much in the way of positivity coming your way quite rightly recently. For you, and I know you're not a man who settles for anything anything other than very high standards, what are the things that you, you don't think you've properly addressed yet with England? What do you need to get right to make sure you are top of the tree and chief contenders for, for the World Cup in 2019? Well, just in terms of the team, we're still just not consistent enough. You know, we've concentrated almost exclusively in our first year on defence and set piece. Now we'll continue that for another probably year, year and a half. And we just want to see that real consistency coming through. You know, I thought our defence in the autumn was immeasurably better than it was in the summer. So that's a great thing for us. Our set piece is again moving in the right direction, but we're just having little periods when it's not its absolute best. Um, and they're the periods we've got to get out of our game. Um, so. What I'd like to see in 12 months, those two areas be absolutely consistent and that then give us the, the time to work on the hardest part of the game, which is attack. The attack, okay, so that's, that's to come. Um, I've also been struck by your comments about England players having no fear of losing. You want them to go out and win games as opposed to being reactive. That's a big mantra for you, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think the Six Nations is a great time to come for us because yeah, I think traditionally, particularly the first three rounds of the Six Nations, teams are petrified to lose. Yeah, absolutely. And so you see a lot of quite negative rugby, you know, where teams are happy to just give the ball to the opposition and then and then defend and hope they make mistakes. And I think, you know, to be the best team in the world of course you can play like that, at times you have to play like that, but you also got to be proactive and take the game to the opposition. So, you know, we want to start the Six Nations, we've got France first up, and that'll be a great test for us because France are on the improve, and we want to go there and we want to go at them. We want to take the game to France and make them feel like they can't play, they can't stay with us at Twickenham, say, you know, this is too hard, we've got to go back to France, this is too hard for us. Just briefly now, before we wrap things up, your own position 
Are you loving this job? Are you loving this existence as much as you thought you would? Is it doing everything you thought it would do for you, not just for England rugby? Well, I love coaching, yeah, and I love the game. So there's two things I love. And, and when you're winning and you've got a great group of players that want to work hard and get better, there's nothing more enjoyable. So even though the sun doesn't shine enough, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been fantastic. And um, should it come to pass that you end up being successful in Japan in a few years' time, I know your contract is to that point, would you be considering cracking on at that stage? Uh, look, I always came here to do a job for the RFU and, and that's my intention. And I think after that, you know, I don't make that decision, the RFU make that decision. And again, if we don't win the World Cup, people will be saying, When's it, what time's your plane leaving? Um, so I'm not too worried about even thinking past past the World Cup. I'm not even worried about thinking past the France game. But it's not a no. It's not a no, I wouldn't consider it. It's not, uh, I'm done at this point. But, you know, my intention is to leave after the World Cup and I, and I couldn't see why that would change, you know, because I've probably got one or two coaching jobs left and I want to make sure that whatever I do after this, firstly, I do this job as well as I can, so I'm in a position after this job that England... To get another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> England want to keep me or, or some other country want me and then to do something good for rugby. Brilliant. Eddie, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for our usual slice of insight and analysis from the Rugby Tonight studio. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.